We got uh, two major stories to discuss today, two enormous stories with the Star Tribune editorial board. Patricia Lopez and John Rash are here. Patricia, you get to decide. Should we start debate, Iowa, or impeachment? Your decision. I vote impeachment. Impeachment. Okay. Today. I just wanted to be able to say that. Yes, there you go. (laughs) Today, the speaker says, enough's enough. I'm sending these over. I've laid out the managers, and these are the individuals who will make the presentation. Let's let's go at this a couple ways. She obviously waited a while. Mm-hmm. She obviously was able to get under the president's skin, which I think was the main objective. Yeah, um, she. It was at a time where John Bolton came out and said again, "If you subpoena me, I will testify." But in the end. Did she get anything from Mitch McConnell? From Mitch McConnell, no, but I don't think she ever thought that was going to happen. Um, you know, these these two have been fencing with each other for such a long time. Yeah. I, I can't even, I don't go back that far. Um, they obviously know, but they're she's playing, playing three-dimensional chess. They both are uh, on a level that They're both can, good at what they do. Th- they are. They're both extremely good. I mean, if you can just look at it without emotion. Yeah. These are two absolute masters of the game, and yep. I don't really consider it a game because it's too important, but you yeah. know what I mean. And, um, you know, she accomplished two important objectives. Uh, you know, one was Bolton sort of offering himself up. Very hard for the Senate to make the case that they shouldn't mm-hmm. hear from uh, from him. They and will, though. They, yeah, they will. <laughs> and, and frankly, we don't know what he's going to say. Yeah. You know, That's we don't correct. Know what any of them will say he might come out and and further affirm what the president has yeah. said. There's been enough time uh, in that lapse for the president to contradict himself yet again. A month ago, he was saying he welcomed the testimony of Pompeo. He wishes Rick Perry and all the rest yep. of them would come and testify. In the in the ensuing weeks, he has definitely turned around on that. He doesn't want to see any testimony. Although it's funny, rather see it just dismissed. But he changes again because even Friday night in mm-hmm. the Ingram interview, after he'd been saying, you know that, then he says, "I'd love if Mulvaney and Pompeo <laughs> uh, could, could would testify, but for presidential precedent, I can't do it." And then, like a day later, it's like they should dismiss this right away. It's like I'm shocked that he changes his mind every. Five minutes. All right. It kind of reminds me of a scene out of the old um, Friends sitcom where Lisa Kudrow says, in response to being invited to do something that she clearly doesn't want to do, she said, I wish I could, but I don't want to. (laughs) John Rash, if Nancy Pelosi could go back to middle December and just pass it over that day, would she do it, in your opinion, or is she happy how this played out? She isn't necessarily happy how it played out, but I think that she thinks on balance – she was rewarded for the tactical maneuver to hold the, the articles of impeachment for a few weeks. Here's why, as Patricia rightly mentioned, John Bolton coming forward added an element of pressure to, if not Mitch McConnell, at least four of his Republican colleagues, three of them who are up for reelection, who may yet vote to take witnesses and think that that's the appropriate thing to do and also the politically expedient measure to take as well. And secondarily, in just one other example, we may have more of these that are coming. We had the revelations last night from Lev Parnas, the associate Mm -hmm. of Rudy Giuliani, that looked like a note from a political thriller that was written (laughs) down in in terms of what they were hoping 
what happened in Ukraine highly incriminating from anyone's perspective when you look at something like that. That's as close to a quid pro quo as it gets, isn't it? Yeah. Written down one, absolutely. And so that perhaps puts pressure on this handful, this this cohort of Republican colleagues who may yet vote to take witnesses at this point. And while Senator McConnell is unlikely to budge, doesn't think that there are the votes to do that, the events may take over here, and that could turn. Let me just ask it this way, Patricia. Mm -hmm. If if folks— are objective, and and they're not just such ideologues either supporting the president or mm-hmm. detesting the president, mm-hmm. and they just look at the latest Ukrainian information. Mm-hmm. I want somebody to convince me how you can look at that and say, we shouldn't learn more about that. It, it's really impossible. It once is impossible. You, once you take an ideological lens away from it, um, I don't see how any reasonable thinking person yeah. looks at that and says, we absolutely need to know more. And that's why, you know, as time goes on, more of these things are being revealed. And if I could say a word about her uh, impeachment team, um, this is a really good, smart, tough uh, array of individuals. Adam Schiff, I I think, was widely acknowledged as um, being fairly brilliant in the way he handled his hearings. They were, um, you know, fact-filled, you know, minimum of grandstanding, posturing. Uh, and did a lot to start building that pressure that John was talking about. And the rest of them are all, you know, it's not only a diverse group, which I think is important uh, as they take this case to the Senate, um, but they're all individuals who I think in their own right have some, uh, you know, some some solid credentials that they bring to this. And this idea that, you know, we want to find facts. Mm-hmm. John, you first. In the Senate, Romney's flat on the record saying, he wants to hear, and we should hear mm-hmm. from Bolton. Collins and Murkowski, as they always do, are talking about it openly. But in the end, who knows what, what they will do. They need one more senator. By the time we get down to it, yes, and then elaborate or no, do you think the Republicans will get for And then I'll add again, the, the, the best point that Schiff and Pelosi make when McConnell says, at least in my view, says we're running the Clinton model. Of course, in the Clinton model, these other folks had already testified. They were on the record. Because they weren't blocked. Yes. These folks are not on the record because, as Pat just said, they're blocked. So can they get four? Yes, and I believe that they will. You think they will? Because I think that particularly for Senator Collins in Maine, Senator Gardner in Colorado, that if they— vote to not take witnesses to side with Mitch McConnell, that that becomes the issue in their re-election campaigns. Already they face significant challenges in states that are increasingly blue. So I think that my guess is they will vote to take witnesses and they bring may bring along Senator Murkowski along with them. What do you think? Because I, I don't see it that way. I 1,000 percent believe we should hear from mm-hmm. witnesses. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't know. You might have all of them or some of them just affirm straight down the line, the president. I just am so convinced we're so uber partisan. I don't think they're going to get four. I I think they will do everything in their power to prevent it. So like you, I'm a little more skeptical, although I think Murkowski is probably more likely than Susan Collins, um, you know, to be one of those four. Um, Because McConnell, as he's gaming all this out, he knows that if they get to the four, it's Katie bar the door. Everything could change. Might not, 
but I don't I don't think they will able to they they won't be able co- to control the flow of information anymore. Mm-hmm. And and then yeah. it's all going to depend on public opinion on how they're each able to uh you know spin it but it it's going to be wild. Well, what about this? Patricia, you first. What about is there a democrat that might go the other way like Doug Jones from Alabama? Um no, could could they get could they get four and all of a sudden a Democrat surprises us? I don't think it would be Doug Jones. Yep. Um, that would be up for election in Alabama. He is up for election in Alabama, but that would be such an about face on everything that put him into that office yep. to begin with. Running I, against know. maybe Jeff Sessions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's possible, but I don't yep. think so. Um, will they get a Democrat to change? I haven't looked at that as carefully yep. um, and I haven't heard much about that. No, possibility. I have <clears throat> So I don't think that's as likely. Um, it's it's really hard to say at this point. I think it's more likely that Doug Jones may ultimately vote not to convict and to, as he would probably position it, let the electorate decide on the fate of President Trump. But I think in terms of taking witnesses, he has Mm -hmm. a uh, background as a prosecutor, and that would go against his professional Mm -hmm. experience and what, as Patricia says, he has espoused prior to this point. so my it, sense it would destroy is, his brand. Yeah, he would, he would stick with at least hearing out witnesses. Whether he votes in the end with Republicans or Democrats, I think that is an open question. So I'll start with you, John, on this one. Um, the country and, and how much attention they're going to pay to this on a, on a daily basis. Because initially, mm-hmm. there will be a lot of coverage from the networks included. But if this, if this goes longer, if this goes weeks and weeks and weeks... I don't think ABC, CBS, NBC, and Fox are going to carry it. Obviously, the cable networks will. Well, plus there are intense restrictions. Yeah, that's on, I was getting press there. Coverage. And 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 there were some restrictions set up yesterday mm-hmm. that the press were very upset with. I, John, I'm not convinced, and that they should. The public absolutely should be paying close attention. This rarely happens. It rarely should happen. But this is deciding whether the president potentially be removed from office. I just wonder how locked in people are going to be throughout the process. I think people will be locked in in terms of what happens and listen or read or watch what happens in news accounts in terms of the actual numbers watching the proceedings, however many are allowed to be shown. I think I concur with you that that won't be as significant as the actual event is, with the exception of if they do allow witnesses, and in particular if a high-profile one such as Mick Mulvaney, and especially John Bolton testify, that might rivet a really riven country right now, deeply divided nation, and may have people from both sides of the aisle on the political divide watch because that could be very determinative as to what the U.S. Senate does. I think time is on the side of the prosecutors. The longer this goes on, the more time there is for pressure to build, for events to change, for public opinion to change. And even though what happens, right? Right. And there are um, there are very restrictive uh, conditions on press coverage, but uh, which will hamper this sort of wall to wall, um, you know, cable network coverage that we've become accustomed to. But I I think it's important to remember that coverage is much broader than that now. You know, and no matter what they do, they are not going to be able to stem the tide on either side of social media which will be going on this nonstop, you know, images, yeah, right. opinions, facts, reflections, facts optional. Uh, you know, right? 
um, you know, all, all sorts of things that in their own way work to shape public opinion and perhaps even to a greater degree than traditional television coverage has. So, uh, you know, try as they might, I don't think they can stuff the press genie back in the bottle. That coverage is going to be there. It's going to be fairly wall-to-wall. Whether people get sick of it and tune it out or um, if there are events within that, like a Bolton testimony or a Mulvaney testimony, um, that start to uh, turn things is what we're going to have to see. On to Iowa next, and we'll start with Amy Klobuchar. Well, I'll ask this question to both and come back. Is Amy Klobuchar in a better position today after the debate than she was yesterday before the debate. Uh, 51 past one, Shad Hartman, Patricia Lopez, John Rash, Star Tribune, playing politics. Patricia, you first. The question in hand, is Amy Klobuchar today at 151 better off than she was yesterday at 151 before the debate started? She is definitely better off. Um, She was composed... Um, she was articulate. She managed to get off a couple of good lines. Um, and I think, again, presented herself as a solid, moderate uh, alternative in a much better way, I have to say, than I thought Pete Buttigieg did. The two have clashed recently. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think she kind of restaked her, her ground out. It, there's a sense that uh, even though Amy still comes from pretty far back, that her momentum is going forward. Um, Buttigieg, not quite so much. I thought he looked a little... Out of his depth on a couple of um, questions, fumbled again when asked that question about black voters. Thought that was a really awkward answer. He doesn't answer. have an answer for that. Uh, he doesn't. And he doesn't and when he says, "Well, the people who know me in South Bend," <laughs> and I'm, I'm thinking, is he aware of all the controversy about how people, right. African Americans, view him in South Bend and in South in Carolina? South Bend. In South Carolina, the poll after poll with black voters, he's at zero percent. Right. He, you have no chance to win. Anywhere near those numbers. And and this is not a small-town mayor race. He doesn't have the time to personally introduce himself yep. and persuade voters one by one. You either appeal on a broad uh, basis or you don't. And he, it's astonishing to me that he doesn't have a better answer than that at this point. Uh, several other of his answers sounded fairly canned, a little over-rehearsed. Um, and I just I, there's not that freshness that you saw in the first couple of debates that really wowed people. Uh Klobuchar and Warren, I think, both worked very effectively on that. You know, uh, can women win? Well, the the women on this stage have won all their elections, and the men haven't. It's a planned line, of course. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but it still, but it still works to, uh, you know, to to serve their the point they were both trying to make. John, I thought Amy was solid, but going into this, she's fourth, right? And yep. I thought it was she was good again, but. If, Unfortunately for her, I thought it was a lot of status quo. So she's not worse, but did she pick up three, four points in some way or even two, three? I don't think so. What do you, what do you think? That she's better positioned than she was before the debate, but it's coming off a small base, and the increase is probably relatively negligible because there didn't seem to be a significant sorting event during the debate. What most people will remember is what happened after it, and that Senator Warren didn't shake Senator Sanders' hand, and it encapsulated the controversy that erupted in the 48 hours prior as to what was said or not said mm-hmm. regarding her viability as a candidate or the ability to elect a female as president of the United States, as Senator Sanders denied that he had, had said to his friend Senator Warren at that point. I think that also that exchange and that focus reflects that 
there actually wasn't that much in this debate about the person whom they all want to run against and defeat, President Trump. And given how controversial the president and his presidency has been, you would think there would be more outward focus as opposed to a private conversation between two longtime senators two years before. Yep. In terms of how the American public is looking at this, that is not important to hardly any of them except political insiders. So I think that's a lost opportunity for the party. The beneficiaries, when something like this happen, are usually the front runner, Vice President Biden, who was not involved in that fray, and nothing about it was going to knock him off his front-running perch, particularly in states that you mentioned, like South Carolina and Nevada, that come after Iowa and New Hampshire. So if he emerges from the first two caucus and primary states in relatively good position, he's in a great position to be able to move forward with the nomination. Pat, they started with the commander-in-chief question, right, which I I thought, considering what's going on with Iran, Mm -hmm. I thought was an important way to start. Mm -hmm. Biden gets credit for his experience. Biden gets criticism for his vote on Iraq. His changing story on that, although he, he said it was a mistake last night. Well. Is there is Joe Biden still the definitive winner on that question? If people are asking, if I have to look at one of these, let's go five, because Steyer, mm-hmm. well, Steyer's buying his way in mm-hmm. South Carolina and Nevada, but I still don't think he has a chance. Is Biden definitely the winner in that area on the commander-in-chief question? Well, I don't know how definite I would be on that, but I would say, you know, for the most part, yes. And in part because people are going to judge this on many levels that go beyond, uh, you know, the confinements of an answer to a single question in one of a series of debates. And he did he did fine on that. Um, That particular question is one where uh, Biden's experience and um, uh, you know, stature really will probably shape p- people's opinions more than yeah. anything else. The important thing is that the rest of them did nothing to really chip away at that. And that would have been the opportunity. And you'd have to be determined to, you know, to just really go for it here because you'd be taking on the front runner. Yep. But to show why you are a better commander in chief than him and give a really short, punchy um, you know, course-changing answer to that, and that didn't really happen. Same thing, John. Certainly, I think that most voters who are observing this, not as closely as perhaps political insiders, look at his experience eight years with the Obama administration, meeting foreign leaders, and before then with the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, and of the six on stage last night, he is going to appear the most presidential, and by definition, if you're presidential, you're more likely to pass the commander-in-chief test. So, you know, while he has been inconsistent, particularly on his vote for the Iraq war and some other issues that he seems to be backtracking on on an aggregate basis, voters project. And I think they can look at him and say he'd be a respectable commander in chief. And that always seems to be a threshold that any candidate needs to be able to pass over. Good stuff, guys. Appreciate it so much. Thank you. Plain politics with uh, two of the best, Patricia Lopez, Star Tribune and John Rash, Star Tribune. This is available multiple ways. You can go to radio.com, boom, hit rewind, listen to the whole thing. We'll podcast this, wccradio.com slash chat. Star Tribune will list it, startribune.com, so you can consume this any way you'd like.